the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and we ramble on about old school games. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Dungeon 23, the OGL, board games, and a bunch more. And just so you're not listening to me ramble on and on, I brought a friend with me. Remember, no mortal can run a red cap. So as always, I hope you can sit back, listen, and enjoy. Todd runs a fantastic YouTube channel called Hex Press. And lately, you can find him on pretty much every other social media that is out there as well. I reached out to him originally so we could sit down and have a chat about Dungeon 23, because it seems pretty cool from an idea standpoint, just not something I'm participating in. And I knew he was very interested in it as well. So he agreed to come on to chat with me. But as happens often when you get two nerds that have a lot of shared hobbies uh, together, we went all over the place with the discussion. Um, there is a lot of Dungeon 23 content, but you will find something in here for all of your nerdy pleasures, and I hope you guys will enjoy it. So I invite you to be a fly on the wall and listen to this chat between Todd and I. All right, everybody, I am joined by Todd, the amazing host of the Hex Press YouTube channel. If you've heard of my stuff, you have undoubtedly at some point gone onto YouTube, done a search for OSR or Hex Crawls or something and came across Todd's channel, and you should be subscribed to it and listening to it. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So I want to bring you on today because you've been chatting quite a bit on social media and some on the, on the YouTube channel about this new fad that everybody's just rushing into for this year, Dungeon <laughs> 23. It's yes. the new hotness. It's what everybody's going to do for at least another three or four days before they all get bored of it and move on. But <laughs> Absolutely. How have you looked at, at the Dungeon 23? Or you've actually come up with a couple other ones. You've got Hex 23 and Finish It 23. I'd love to yeah, hear well, well, those sure. as well. Hex 23, I, I can't take credit for, but somebody... Uh, you know, uh, sent it to me, and I thought, of course, my hex hex is in my name. You know, so it makes it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing's been amazing. I mean, this is what you know. Of course, you or I don't have this kind of reach to be able to post something on Twitter. And next thing you know, a whole cottage industry has sprung up around it as a movement. But that's basically what happened. Uh, I think his name is Sean uh, McVeigh, but but I don't want to get that Sean, wrong. Sean, Mc, Sean McCoy. He, uh, McCoy, he created Mothership. Mothership, yeah. right? Throw out this, throw out the treat, tweet. Hey, basically, it was just a room a day for 365 days. Go, and and then everything else sprung from there. Um, my little contribution, if you want to call it that, is yeah, finish it 23. For those of us who have all kinds of stuff that has been laying unfinished, and I wanted to harness all this energy that he's helped create. But actually turn it towards the stuff that all has been sitting in piles. I know I have stuff that I am really terrible at behind and need to get done. So I thought, let me see if I can take some of that energy and push it into something that, at least for me, will be more immediately, uh, not useful is not the right word, but uh, fulfilling in that is finishing up things that have been laying around far too long. And then if there's any leftover time, then you know we can make dungeons and hexes and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, his his original goal, I think, was to have 12 levels, uh, which each level having the number of days of whatever is in that month. So a level per month, so to speak. Um, the There's been a ton of tools and people talking about. So as this came out and, and excitement grew uh, and people are like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I can do that. It's it's it's. You know, a dungeon, a, a room a day. Who, what could be possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> um, and as people are looking at it, there's a lot of discussion around, hey, do I buy a new you know, day planner, do I get a fancy journal? Do I do this on index cards? Do I do it digitally? Do I do it? And it almost feels to me, 
uh, I, I fall into YouTube rabbit holes. I don't know if you do as well, but oh, yeah. there's there's the whole like bullet journaling and journaling aspect of things. And it yes. feels like people now are spending more time talking about what tools are going to use Dungeon 23 <laughs> for Dungeon 23 than what they're than actually doing Dungeon 23. I think, I mean, there was certainly a lot of that, especially last month, right? And I went I went ahead and got it because I couldn't resist seeing all the pictures. I went and got one of those fancy Japanese journals that's got the dot grid on one side and the daily kind of entries on the other mm -hmm. side. And actually, I think is, in terms of a good tool, if you're going to stick more or less by the default kind of Dungeon 23, actually, it works pretty well because you know, on the daily things, you can write down a little word to sentence about the room. And then on the right, if you're so inclined, you can draw the room and number it. I guess. But yeah, I mean, everyone, all this stuff, there's definitely fetish aspects to it. I love notebooks and pens and things like that. I think I posted, I got a new pen, a new I fountain pen that. to use. I got my journal to use. Um, what, what kind of pen did you end up getting? I, I saw that you had a picture, a, but I didn't catch what yeah, it was. Yeah, it's called a Lamy, or I don't know if it's pronounced Lamy or Lamy. I believe it's German. It's a uh, fountain pen, but they're very reasonably priced. I think 20 or $30. They're really nice fountain pens to be like fountain pens. And you can use cartridges or they have these little converters so you can use uh, any kind of other ink in them. And I just really like it a lot. I don't know. I've always had a thing for fountain pens. So an excuse to kind of get a new pen to go with my new fancy Japanese notebook, um, you know, it was all, it was all worth it. All worth it for me. Yeah. I've, I've uh, gotten into fountain pens a little bit. My father turns pens. So he, he'll take a piece of wood and, and create a pen from it. Oh, nice. um, so like this one here that I've got here is a, is a fountain pen of his creation. Um, and yeah, very similar to, uh, to what you're saying, it's got cartridges in it, but I can add the converter and use whatever ink I want. And uh, I, I've I used to always be like a ballpoint or even like a sharpie person, but now I'm kind of moving more towards the fountain pens and enjoying fountain those pens are nice and they give it a little character. I mean, that's where the kind of fetishy things comes in, right? Because you walk into a place and someone needs you to sign something, you pull out your ballpoint, but then you pull out a fountain pen. It's a little bit like, ooh, you know, check me out. <laughs> like, you know, I got an eye patch and a fedora hat and and my uh, and my uh, my fountain pen. <laughs> And the, yeah. you got you got to have the have the uh, the nice scarf too to go. That's with. right. That's right. A little cravat or scarf <laughs> to go along. It's all all of a piece. Um, so once people get past the whole planning for what they're going to do, and and they've they've gotten past the the excitement of I've got all my new tools and they're sitting down. What do you think the end result of all of this is going to look like for most people? So if we were to grab ten random people that have decided to participate in this, at the end of it. What do you think they will actually have in their notebooks? And conversely, what do you think the general person would hope to have in that notebook? I mean, it's a great of... question. I, I feel like generally everyone wants to get done, right? I think everyone is looking at this. And and just to, you know, for the dungeons right at the end of the days, having this 12-level mega dungeon, I think there's also like World Building 23, which has its own goals. Hex 23 has its own goals. So I think ideally everyone wants to get to their goal. Right? I think that's kind of... But I think those end dates one are going to be there's probably one person that's going to actually get to the end or close, and then probably you could probably roll some dice with you know three d six to see how many weeks <laughs> the rest of the folks kind of get. There's probably going to be some kind of bell curve about you know I doubt, I doubt too many people are going to drop off week two, which I think we're technically we're in week two now, but probably in a couple of weeks they'll probably if people are honest that been sort of dropping away and they'll probably keep drop 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 dropping, and then if you maybe if you get it past the sixth or seventh month mark, maybe there's one where you're more likely to finish because you've gotten so far, right? And then right. there's probably going to be a mix of just rooms and stuff that maybe don't even really do much. I mean, like if I just had a random room, I suppose I could try to fit it into something that I'm making, but probably not because I, if I have an idea of something else I'm making, unless the themes match up, I'm probably going to go, well, I don't need this, I, I don't know, uh, 
uh, Barrier Peaks like uh, science fiction surgery room that I created for Dungeon Twenty Three because I'm working on a on a dungeon that's full of goblins and orcs and bugbears that's below the earth. So, am I going to find spots for this material, or is it going to sit in a shoebox, digital or or, or or analog kind of shoebox where I'll probably forget you know forget about it? That's probably the grim truth. And then hopefully you just got enough enjoyment about creating and sharing the stuff along the way that you got your mileage out of yeah. it. Yeah. I, that's that's what the part that worries me too is I, I think you're right that hopefully if, if people go through it ends up being more about getting your reps in. you've got your practice swings in you've got the create you've you've proven yourself that you can take a creative item and move forward but i really think from what a lot of i've seen i don't know how much consistency there is between the rooms i really don't know if there was ever a goal to have consistency like having it a theme thing because i'm seeing a lot of rooms that look cool on their own like you see a single day, like Monday's room was really cool, but how does that fit in for the rest of that week or the rest of that month and have a flow that would make sense in actual play or in actual utility? Yeah, it's probably pretty debatable because I think the original tweet was just, you know, 365 days, room a day. And and, and presumably you just, you're just doing rooms. And then people started to really glom onto the concept and kind of improve it. Then he wrote, I think, a post on Medium where he went into a little bit more detail about it but i think his goal and and i think some of the goals came out of the original one was just it's about kind of getting your writing in right a, a way to get yourself into writing every day which for writers and people doing and creating it's really important to get good habits and this is kind of a vehicle for doing that but as i and i'm sure I'm, i was definitely not the only one pointing out as a lot of people that may have been the intent or part of the intent but a lot of people took it as i'm gonna have a finished product at the end of it in which case things like what you're saying theme connection between rooms all this stuff you want to make sense because you want to have something to use it's not about oh great i did some free writing i did some journaling and it's just the you know because from a certain standpoint the journaling for journaling's sake is fine because you, know, you say get your reps in do all the stuff and that at the end of the day that's it but i think for a lot of other people that wasn't really what they the energy they were getting into wasn't just journaling for journaling's sake it was i want to i'm going to have a mega dungeon at the end of it and that's kind of i don't know if you had a chance to check it out but i put together a helper document and my whole helper, the point of it was, is to, for those of us who may need and want structure to actually, who are on the path of, I want to actually complete something, is I tried to make a document to give a lot more structure to the Dungeon 23 to have people think about themes and how to get the stuff. So at the end of a week or a month, you don't end up with a bunch of rooms that seem cool individually, but together just make a mess. Instead, I feel like you would have like a level of a dungeon. So I, I mean, I think you and I are on the same wavelength, but really it's all about what are you bringing to it? What are your, what is your goal coming out of it as a person? And then, you know, just try to stay focused on what that is. And if it is having a dungeon that makes sense, assuming we're not looking at funhouse dungeon, that just anything goes, then you're going to want to think about those as you're writing your, you know, putting your rooms together, basically. And and there are tools, mine and others, who try to give, I think, a bit more structure to help out with that if that's if that's the goal. Yeah, like some of the stuff that you've put together and others I've seen out there almost seem to want to try to focus folks a little bit the way that the Gygax, um, oh, Gygax 75? Was it Gygax? Yeah. Yes, yep. thank you. I can't believe I just blanked on that. I've done it myself. <laughs> um, the Gygax 75 challenge was done up where, where it gives, um, you know, a nice steady progression and focus uh, on it rather than saying, Hey, go create, you know, half a dozen hexes and uh... totally. And, and, and there's no wrong approach, right? It's just a, what do you want out of it? And I, but I think a lot of people did are taking this energy to try to come up with a product or if it's for their own games or for put on itch or whatever. And yeah, to that extent, having that extra structure helps. But if you're just kind of just want to get your creativity out there, then you don't need any, you know, and that was kind of my whole thing with the documents. If you don't need this stuff, that's not helpful. You're just, 
toss it. No, no skin off, you know, my nose, but to the extent that you find it helpful, here are some ways to kind of structure yourself because the original challenge was, I think, I don't want to say by design because it was just put out there kind of flippantly. And I don't think they necessarily expect, expected it to turn into a big thing, but that had basically zero structure. Just throw right. rooms together. Go. So in all things uh, tabletop related, everybody's got different definitions of stuff. What is a mega dungeon to you? Is a mega dungeon 12 layers or does it have to be 200 layers? Is it five room? Or is it more than five rooms, but less than like, what is a mega dungeon and oh, how does goodness. it qualify it? I mean, I think it has to be kind of large, right? I would say this. If we're getting a mega dungeon, there is a size component. It's because I could think about in, in terms of mega dungeons, you could look at it and say, okay, it's multiple dungeons put together, right? I, I mean, I think that's kind of where you look. I, like I look at something like Caverns of Thracia, which is maybe not even someone's uh, conventional idea of a mega dungeon. But to me, it is because you have these multiple layers of dungeons and then at least a couple of them are, are kind of different from each other. It's not just... Uh, dungeon all the way down and even in, in the more sort of I guess old school even more old school than that kind of gonzo territory you have something like uh, Greyhawk which even though it was all thematically part of all the basement levels underneath Castle Greyhawk you know in, in the Gygax 75 I think in those in the articles that uh, that Ray uh, posted about that the tidbits they talk about all the different things on different levels each level could be vastly different than the level before right so oh, this one's filled with fire elementals and on this one there's a bowling alley with giants and this one so i think having it has to be something there has to be some thematic i think change-ups in there um or at least there are i mean because I, I mean every time i say something like i think about well does this mega dungeon have it you know no it doesn't but i i feel like it's gonna have something has to be tied together all together uh, tied together in some way castle greyhawk it's tied together because you're all underneath castle grass castle greyhawk that's kind of the connection these are all parts of castle greyhawk in Caverns of Thracia, you kind of have a time and space connection there as well as the stuff had been piled on each other over time and, and have connections in terms of some of the factions that are running around each pieces. But at least for me, I think maybe differentiating what I would like to see for Mega Dungeon as opposed to maybe what it must be is I think some uh, some different kind of, and I don't want to say environments feels like too big, because I don't mean like lava level and ice level, whatever, right? But I feel like having some spaces that have their own identity that are put together and it's not just a dungeon but take take whatever dungeon you like and just instead of having it be 50 rooms now it's 1500 rooms like sure that's massive and i suppose that could maybe meet someone's technical requirements for a mega dungeon but i think it may be to be effective i feel like you need to be able to just to keep interest to keep people wanting to go further yeah i i think the way you're describing it makes sense especially if you want to have a discussion with your players later or if, or even when your players are are remembering what they've done they can be like hey do you remember when we got to this like not i know you said not to do this but can you remember when we got to the the demon uh themed area of the dungeon that was really cool or when we moved into the, like it almost demarks um periods of time if they've gone through as they've reached a certain spot um yeah, and they could be markers of all kinds. I mean, that's what's going to be memorable. Like, oh my gosh, we got to the necropolis. Oh my gosh, we got to this thing. Like, we got to the giant bowling alley. Like, wasn't that like crazy? Like, there are these ways of sort of identifying the parts. I mean, classically, you could do that by counting levels as well. Like, we got to level seven. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that's enough anymore. Maybe it was at some point. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because. Often, like the way I used to define Mega Dungeon, and I've kind of revised my how I how I look at it now, but it used to be a Mega Dungeon would be this is a this is an alternative to an Overland campaign. Your Mega Dungeon is 
basically your campaign is going to be vastly stored in this dungeon and the rest of the world doesn't really matter um, because most likely your players will explore very little bit because their time is going to be sucked up in in the down below um, but i think it's very possible to have mega dungeons that just exist in a world that people jump into and maybe never complete they just jump into for a bit and they jump back out um, and go that route i mean i think there are definitely some of those ones when i was reading back i forget which someone had found it's uh, years ago now one of these uh, like newsletters from one of those big gaming groups midwest kind of gaming groups from the late 70s and they i think they had multiple mega dungeons depending on the group and i think different gms whoever was the gm kind of they had their mega dungeons on the map and so different groups would travel here travel there and i think just getting down to different areas and then also cleaning up things that you might have discovered on an area before or you've let loose an ancient evil now you got to go fix that up or you got cursed and now you got to go uncurse yourself or at one point, they got they got geshed uh, uh, and sent off on some quest for an evil cleric. I remember, and so they had to go figure out how to either do that quest or get out from doing it. I think they ended up figuring out a way to get out from doing it. Then they, of course, they had to go back and get their vengeance on that evil cleric. You know, but they all had different spots on this board essentially where they could go and move, um, which is great if you have a huge group. I think if you're a single person, how many mega dungeons do you want to maintain? Uh, you know, assuming you're not buying them in books and like, oh, here's barrel maze and here's something else if, at that point maybe for what's reasonable for a single gm for a single group it might be that yeah here's this one massive challenge and maybe there's other dungeons but they're not you know mega dungeons they're just oh, a couple levels and this that and i'm done of you mentioned barrel maze of like the big well-known mega dungeons that have been out over the last half decade or or so do you have any favorites uh from that list oh man i, I mean i i've only i've i've never run a, a mega dungeon um, I've read some. Uh, I read Barrow Maze on the channel a couple months ago, maybe longer now, and I thought it was good. Uh, I, I liked it. It is it is one that kind of doesn't fit the mold in terms of having a bunch of different themes. It is really all around this theme of this kind of Very Barrow Maze. Yeah. I think what's interesting there are the different ways you can access the Barrow Maze and having it having a lot of those entrances be available from jump. Right? It's not oh here's the main entrance and there maybe there's one or two sneaky entrances. It's no you have this whole basically open horizontal playing field that you can go and you can get to different areas through there, which you will discover or not, depending on what you kind of go exploring. But you have a lot over there. Now, I've, I've heard various things that people have run it in terms of do they feel like they need to add things or add kind of more motivations or add, you know, it's it's not necessarily, it's one that I, I, I guess probably depending on the table, I've heard some people may have had issues kind of keeping their players focused on there or maintaining sort of interest in it. I'm I'm not sure it reads, it reads well. Um, I think I read the first part of Stonehell that seemed pretty interesting, and just at the top, the top and kind of the first level or two. But I think the main issue is going to be, and it may not even be something that these dungeons can solve in themselves, is that interest part. And 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 that's where I think having the thematics, especially now, the way we tend to play games now, as opposed to the way we played them 30, 40 years ago, is when you can have these kind of things that are thematically interesting connected to the overall dungeon but have its own kind of unique in, in terms of the kind of in, in terms of the dungeon sort of look and feel and things going on i think it's going to help with that maintaining interest because if you're just drilling down level to level of stone corridors and doors and whatever then not that you can't get interest up but you, you really have to push it more whereas you're going to kind of peak a lot of folks a sense of discovery and wanting to check things out when you do run across really interesting different areas in these spaces yeah i Completely agree. You, you, the two that you mentioned, both Barrow Maze and, and Stonehill, would be high on my list of, of my favorite ones. But but you're completely right that 
the the burnout of the having done the same thing for a while can can definitely reach people. I think the the big difference is is in the Mega Dungeon heyday, you had you had more groups. You had you were running different groups. Like the DM would often be running multiple groups through the same dungeon um, at different points, and there was almost a competition aspect of it. Of hey, we got this far. Like the, 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 what we just mentioned earlier when you were talking about like hey we we met we we got to the the bowling alley with with the giants, the the that competition aspect of it and the wanting to be able to to that was there what and then trying to get back to it or what have you I think that's a way that GMs can kind of try to keep the interest a little bit in terms of even if you don't even if you are not personally running other human parties having a rival party to the party that is trying to get deeper or messing with them if, when they're down there and letting the players likewise do it might be part of the part of a, a way to keep that oh, interesting. Oh, totally. And I think if I was running an open table in a gaming store where I have a consistent, at least group, not necessarily the same players, but different group, and I'm running it in sort of the old school, or we could maybe call it, uh, what is it, uh, where you're basically finishing back in town every, right. the West every, every session. Uh, yeah, so where you can constantly getting a new group and yeah, each table's leaving each different group is leaving notes for the things before, like look, see where we got. And you're kind of coming to kind of more beer and pretzel style, hanging out with friends. It's almost like when I used to play, I haven't played in a long time, but I used to play destiny. And it was all about, even though we were playing the same missions over and over again, but you're playing with your friends, you're having fun, just kind of doing that thing. But nowadays I think that people are more into kind of the, what's going on, the kind of story aspect or the, just the world aspect. Like my, players are really and I, I love it are really into like what are all these different powers doing in the world like what are the political things going on what are the what's moving and shaking in the world they're not so interested in just like going down another level in the dungeon right there's just those are the things that that drive them and i think that's true probably for a lot of players and so then that video game aspect of like super mars all the old school games are just like let's see if i can go one more level deep or did you see i found that one tube it goes deeper Maybe it doesn't come up, especially not. I mean, and I have a single group now. If you like, I think you're totally right in terms of if you have almost competing sets of players running around in there, that's going to have a totally different kind of vibe than um, than not. But unfortunately, I don't think most people get to play with having that's, a big pool like that. Yeah, I think that's sadly the truth there. All right, so let's let's say that um, I'm I'm going to take part in it. I'm not, but let's pretend I was going to take part in it. I simply just don't have the time. It's not that I'm against the project. I think it's I think it's awesome. I look forward to hearing what everybody does out of it. I just I don't personally have the time for it. But if if I was going through that, in my head, there's there's almost two different art forms that come with creating a dungeon. So you've got the the actual mapping of it, um, which is an art form all in itself, and then there's the theming slash stocking of of the dungeon. Yeah. Um, the, the, I know that there's no way that I'm ever going to be a person knowing my own skill sets. I'm never going to be Dyson logos. I can't create those, those beautiful dungeons, but there's lots of generators and there's online tools that help me draw, draw those out if I want them. Yep. But from the stocking standpoint, what tools would you recommend people look at? I've got some in my head, but I wanted to kind of hear from you. What? Oh man. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many. So first of all, something I did mention to my helper and I, I will read it right here. If the drawing I would say if either side, like either the writing or the drawing is getting in your way, then save it for the end. Like, I feel like you can pretty much do your whole mega dungeon and not draw any of the rooms. You can come back and make the actual physical drawings, but just saying, Hey, 30 by 30 square entrance in the North wall and the East wall, 
and then you know connects to these rooms i think is totally fine at this point and 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 by the way for those folks who may feeling like i don't have time the original original concept idea was you could just write a word just title the room uh you know abattoir move on you know hallway move on uh you know he even said one of the, the guidance in his medium article was if you just if you don't feeling anything you got to put empty rooms put empty room move on remember you can come back to the stuff it's not like you're going to turn it in like your sat or something at the end of it and never get to look at it again it's like you're gonna you can always come back and, and fiddle faddle with it later and, and in fact in my helper i suggested doing your room mapping at the end of the month like go just write all your rooms out get all that done and then you can come back at the end and use your you know pen and pencil or dungeon scrawl or whatever to come in and come in and, and filling rooms now in terms of, of stocking there's just i mean there's too many there's what like the d30 there's those d30 um digital books that are good there's one i i linked to it on my on my uh forms i can't remember if i can find it still it's called oh shoot hold on let me see if i can look it up real quick because it's really good and has tons of stocking things and it might be one that's a little bit unknown i covered it on my channel and i i, I was just amazed by all the it was totally unexpected it was one of those i don't know if you've had that where you you've gotten something Someone sent it to you or you've asked for it and you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to look kind of look at a lark. And then it's just such a, a uh, surprise in a good way. For? Yeah, it was just like, oh, my gosh, this thing is crazy. It's called, uh, let's see, oh, drop. While, while you're looking that one up, I'll also yep. throw it into the list. Uh, Tomb of Adventure Design, I think, is a, a great resource as well. Oh, yeah, also a good Or one. just a DMG uh, for everybody who who doesn't have a copy of first edition DMG. There, there's a whole way to generate your dungeon right in inside that. And and fifth edition's DMG is good too. I think, and someone actually said that the really only DMG that kind of stinks in that regard is the fourth edition DMG. So apparently, the fourth edition DMG, which I think I have somewhere, but I haven't looked up, is awful. But first, second, third, fifth, they all have tools for that. And it was called Diaries of Dungeon Design. Ooh, and uh, it's uh, it's really good. It had just so much different things. And I just remember on the and you can check out my read along if you want to take a look inside before you buy. It's from uh, Shield Ice Studio, and I think it's it's uh, the full title is Realm Fables: Colon Diaries of Dungeon Design. It's on Drive Through and other places, and it's just got and you, you go to the Drive Through page, you can see some. They got some screenshots, or you can check out my search it on YouTube. I'm sure my read along will come up, and it's. It's it's got all kind. Of, it's got crazy crazy amount of content uh, for using uh, for for building out your dungeons. And yeah, the DMGs are all good. Uh, and there's you know Don John and other places. There's tons of tools. There's of course you can look at Dice and Logos and all the maps he's thrown online. I mean, you could probably just do something like that. Like just take a Dice and Logos map and forget drawing your own and just since all his maps are basically have no I, I mean he may give it a thematic name like here's the the minds of the dwarven king but you could just cross that out put whatever you want and just here's my challenge is going to be now filling out this stocking this and not even worrying about the the yeah. uh the drawing part yeah and he has uh large packs of maps too that you can grab like uh like more maps than you'll probably ever need and you can just try to find creative ways of linking them that would be a very very cool idea as well the um when when we're looking at starting this off, like if you were going to start it off, actually, I guess maybe I didn't even ask you. I apologize. Have you started doing Dungeon Twenty Three, or are you going to do your finish it and get other things? I'm done doing first? finish it. So I have a I have a zine that's like two years late, or it will be two <laughs> years in April. That I'm desperately trying to finish. So that is my initial finish it. So right now my finish it part is probably closer to Hex Twenty Three because my. Zine is all about kind of hex crawl stuff, and I wanted to have a starter adventure to go along 
but one that's kind of a hex crawl focused adventure. It's not a, it's not just a. Hopefully, at the end of you have an area that if your party wants to hang around and stay, and they'll be able to, and there'll be enough stuff. But the idea is to give an adventure, but it's an overland travel based adventure. Uh, so I'm kind of building that out. So I'm, I am using finish at 23. I'm trying to put put something on there every day. I have it. It's up on itch. You can follow along, and I do post on social media and different places when I update it. And I'm trying to be one of the things. One of the things I'm trying to do, and who knows if it'll work or not, is I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself, and I'm also trying to ignore what other people are doing because you can. I think you can get very one. It can be very inspiring to see people putting out amazing work and like, look, this is my day two of my journal. I've done like five pages worth of stuff, but it can also be very disheartening. And then you feel like, oh, if I'm writing a line, a word, and this person's writing three pages, like, what am I, you know, like, what am I doing, right? So I, I'm trying not to do that, and I'm also trying not to. I'm trying to be very consistent in my effort. So I don't want to put out like I'm going to do a bunch today and then tomorrow I fall flat. Like for me, it's part of getting that consistency up because that's kind of been my. I'm a terrible procrastinator and that's kind of just feeds into my procrastination. I'm going to start falling behind, you know, so I want to be like, I'm just going to do this bit. And if I have more, I'm going to just wait, hold on to it. Maybe make a note so I don't forget it. And then I'll come back to that bit tomorrow and just do bit, bit, bit. So far, so good, but it's only one week. Yeah. Easy to feel good now. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I rock my diet for the first week of this month. We'll see how, (laughs) we'll see how week two goes. Exactly. Um, yeah, you, you had mentioned that like you, you see this on, on social media and stuff. You're across a ton of different social media platforms uh, over the last while. I've seen you, you've, it looks like you've been experimenting for the last couple of months with with YouTube shorts and on Instagram and and you've joined the wave of us that have also dabbled with, with Mastodon or the Fediverse, whatever you would like yep. to call it. Of all these various platforms that you've, that you've kind of either dove in fully or dipped toes in, how have you found them? What, because you, at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've followed you for a long while, but mostly all from YouTube. Um, was, I think that's that... where most of my audience is. Yeah. yeah so... I always thought that was weird. Like I'm on Twitter forever, but my, and I always thought my Twitter follower count would be much higher than YouTube. I'd assume that YouTube, my mis- my mistaken assumption was that I felt like YouTube to subscribe to somebody was higher commitment than Twitter, but at least it doesn't seem like it because I have many more, not that I have a lot, but I have many more, tw- uh, uh, YouTube followers than, than Twitter. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I, like Twitch, like I stream on Twitch and nobody, nobody watches me on Twitch. Like nobody, like it, like I'll get these Twitch summaries. One person watched for two seconds and switched off. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I'm just, cause it's usually during the day that no, no people just aren't on Twitch. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm not, whatever it is, like whatever it is, like my audience is for the most part on YouTube, but I have been, it's been really interesting. Um, and who knows what's going to happen? Cause I, I've, I said this before and people, you know, were, uh, and rightfully so I, I mentioned TikTok. I've been on TikTok for the last couple months. And what's fascinating there is it feels like there's a really much different audience and not an audience, but just community on TikTok. So I felt like I've gotten, I've seen a lot of different perspectives on TikTok that I don't see at least the way the YouTube algorithms work or what's gets surfaced to me on YouTube is very different than the stuff that gets surfaced to me on TikTok. So I've really appreciated that. Now, who knows what's going to happen? I know bad TikTok, bad China government, but then it's like, okay, I guess what's funny about that is not to say the Chinese government and stuff is great and good, but someone's commenting me on, on YouTube, which is owned by Google, who's also done is not, you know, talking to me about how terrible TikTok is or Facebook. It's like, they're all owned by these giants that who knows what nefarious deals they're they're probably all working behind the scenes together i'm sure google selling data to the chinese government to use in facebook to do what like it's none of them are good 
And hopefully the Fediverse, if there's one thing of the Fediverse, is like hopefully what the Fediverse is doing is bringing that out of that kind of ecosystem. We are not dependent on these companies that are, none of them are looking out for our best interest, right? Let's have no illusions. Google, Facebook, none of Meta, whatever, none of them are looking out for us. So we're just picking between like the devils that we feel like we know or understand that we probably don't and those we don't. So I'm all for the Fediverse and I'm hoping it takes off and I'm hoping other things sprout from that. Like I would love to see, well, what is the kind of, what is going to be the YouTube of the Fediverse and how can they make that well, something there, that's viable. I'm sure there already is something out there. I just haven't heard of it yet. You, you know what? what yeah. Is it? So there's, uh, it's actually been around probably longer than most of the big Mastodon type stuff is. It's called it's called a PeerTube. Um, it's it's also part of the Fediverse. You can subscribe if you you know how you subscribe on YouTube. If you subscribe to somebody on PeerTube. You can see them on on your Mastodon feed. Um, oh, okay, cool. And there's there's tons out. of different instances for it. There's different universities have the, that have their their course material up on it and stuff like that. the The problem with with it is a lot of the instances with it are incredibly small and niche, and they're niche in a way that probably turns off most people um, mm. in terms of the content that they're going for. But uh, it is the technology is there for it, and it's definitely definitely interesting. I I like that you that you called out you know Twitter and stuff. I tried over December. So I, I, I took most of December as a, as a, a break for myself, but I was like, Hey, I saw Todd doing this and I've seen a few other folks doing it. Let's try to make a YouTube short. Um, so I sat down and I, and I, I didn't go on camera. Um, I just was doing it all via like screen capture. And I, I, cr I tried to create a sentient sword from the old school essentials rules, uh, in 60 seconds that the, the, the process of creating that sword is not difficult. The process of creating it in a 60 second window was incredibly hard. difficult. I, not so much difficult, but it was way more involved than I thought it would be in terms of how much editing I would have to do. Um, so props to you. I'm not sure how much editing you have to do on your <laughs> stuff, but that was because uh, you do it a lot more consistently than I'm, I do. That was I, I'm, I'm I, you, know, you know how I think a lot of us have gone towards low prep jamming. I am now in extremely <laughs> low prep video like I do next to no editing these days like unless i really goof up and i'll i'll try to make note of it because i'm doing everything myself right? i don't have somebody else i'm sending it off to so if i'm editing it i would just find i could spend hours and hours editing and editing it and i just was finding that it just it wasn't worth it. it it wasn't worth it and it wasn't like the videos that i edited down to some to be as concise were like performing much better than my other videos and people actually would would tell me like oh i like this video where you're standing in your kitchen just kind of doing that as opposed to sitting in front of this other space so like, and i've seen other people where i'm like you know what i some channels i really like that have tons of followers they're like filming in their uniform you know in their living room and they're and they're they're not filming in some perfect studio space with and obviously some people are very successful in their studio spaces and ideally that's what i would love to have because i want to but you don't have to have that stuff and what i found is like in TikTok, and i'm sure and there's another there's a good really good uh, iphone app I don't know if it's connected to TikTok some way. It's called CapCut, C-A-P-C-U-T. And it, essentially, you can you can create videos in there. You can edit videos in there. In fact, it'll even do captions if you want to, though I tend to let TikTok do my captions. I think it does a little bit better job. But what they do is when you're natively filming in TikTok, and what also CapCut will do is that you set the time of your video before you start recording. And this is kind of similar, like I think if you tried to record a YouTube short directly, you'll say it's 60 seconds. And then you'll see it kind of go up and then you'll hit it. And so what I've done is I've just tried to make like a bit, a point, say something, get it out there and not try to like do something where I'm going to have to do a whole thing. Like if for, if I was going to do a sentient weapon, what I would do is I would create the sentient weapon myself, 
post it on the screen and give a 60 second blurb about it and then go right and then yeah. it's done and then maybe i'll say hey go to youtube and watch the longer video where i'm going to walk through doing this sentient sword but that's you know that's it and then launch it out there and and you know see what happens see that that would have been the smarter way of doing it is saying hey i made this uh, go check the long video format that that i'm going to steal that idea moving forward you should. So of your of your early youtube videos like when i first found you uh, again everybody should be watching your stuff because you've got lots of really great content on there but one of the things that made oh, me I watch your videos and go and, and make me recognize you like maybe the second or third time i saw you before i actually subscribed was the fish wallpaper in the background oh and every, time, every time I, every time i would see see your video i'm like oh that's the fish wallpaper guy and, and <laughs> is, is there was that there before you or is that something you added no that was that is my kitchen in my apartment there i have a kitchen and that is our kitchen wallpaper is a bunch of this fish and that was that was where you know so pre-covid pre-everything else when i would do these well, part of what made it really hard and if you go back and look at my history my my video recording where I, I do some and i just uh, and they'll be like and i do that and there's one point where I, I spent like six or seven months where i just didn't get anything up and i was kind of thinking about just calling quits and i started again and part of that was that i'm in a very small apartment in brooklyn new york and there's nowhere for me to record i mean if my wife and then when my wife and my daughter my daughter came around my, they're around there's just it's just noise everything it's just too much like i gotta tell them like hey i'm i'm streaming so i would or i'm, I'm recording so i'd have to do everything kind of late at night and i would just go into the kitchen where we have a the only one kind of big table and i'd set up all my stuff do all my things and behind me would be part of why i picked it is here's this wallpaper that's essentially just inoffensive it's right it's kind of right behind me and i would go now and since covid since a lot of other stuff we were both working from home we kind of got this little sort of desk set up in our bedroom, which has, uh, it's not actually green screen, but it's kind of a similar color wall behind me. And that's why most of my later videos, you see the green wall, because that's where I am. I'm, I'm in that little, which seems expansive, but I think, as I mentioned, like, it's like, like a window, like right off camera, one side, like my bed right off camera on the other side. Like I'm literally in like the, I'm, I'm in the five by five foot, probably even less than that, like combat melee space. And that is my whole world <laughs> just in that, in that spot. Uh, but yeah, the, the I, I used to get lots of compliments when I would take like work calls and things and, you know, go video and I'd have the, the nice wallpaper behind me. And, oh, it was nice because it gave me like professional look, but I've, all my stuff is now moved on. So I, I don't really think unless I record a short or something late at night on my phone in the kitchen, um, you know, probably won't see the 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 the, uh, the fish wallpaper. But yeah, it was funny. It was definitely was something that was people people took note of some nice wallpaper, too. It, yeah, it's it's it, it was definitely. You know, it was something that I always be. Oh yeah, because it, it draws the eyes. It was really good. Um, we're we're now in 2023, and I don't know about you, but I'm still writing 2022 when I sign stuff. Um, but looking back at 2022, what was your favorite RPG product, or do you have? Oh one? man, I, you know this. I, you know, I keep thinking. I, I I think now that I've been doing this, I realize that there's a lot of work, or at least preparation, doing kind of best ofs, because oh, yeah. I'm always like scratching my brain. Like what, what, what did, what did I, did I do this last year? Like, when was this? Like, and I, you know, like I say, like, oh yeah, I covered this a few months ago and I'll look and I'm like, geez, it was, you know, and in like, you know, March <laughs> last year, or like maybe it was November of 2020, like something weird. Um, there's been a lot of good stuff. I'm going to pull up. Let me see. Hold on. While I think about it, let me just pull it up so that I can think about it. Um, yeah, 2022. I mean, I got to look at some things I hadn't looked at before. Like I did Pathfinder Second Edition, which I hadn't looked at. I mean, it's not new and floating around. It was really interesting looking at it. 
there's a lot of things I kind of feel like, I don't know if I'm going to play. Like, I don't know if I want to play Pathfinder second edition, but I always look at it and say, oh, there's some really interesting things in here. And I, I like the way they kind of took some of the uh, kind of the, the aspect of feats, I think, and kind of really pushed down that path of going sort of feat based and these different actions. I feel like it can get and like tags and things because I kind of I feel like they almost took it to their logical conclusion with a crunchy game like all these tags. I feel I wonder if part of me is like, ah, is this going to be too many tags? Like, how many tags can I keep straight in my in my head before I just go crazy kind of thing? But that was interesting. Um, let me see here. So there was like a manual dexterity was beautiful. Is one of these beautiful kind of cartographic uh, map books with a lot of uh, little stories for the different hexes. Not super uh, crunchy or anything, but just I feel like because again, like I was saying, like there are lots of things I don't know if I'm going to play, but do they inspire me? And I find right. sometimes with those kind of books, like they're not, not maybe not crunchy enough that I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to get a lot of use of that out of my table. But at the same time, I'm thinking like I can really, uh, you know, I can I can uh, get get a lot of just that that kind of inspiration out of it. Um, Oh, I know. What have you got? Let me let me let me think about some. Give me some of yours. Um, I know you did a video on it recently. Uh, I really enjoyed our uh, index card RPG. Um, yeah, that was another good that, one. That was really good. Um, the uh, an interview I did earlier uh, in December um, was the. I, I, I guess I'm probably more recently biased towards the end of the year because it's what's fresher in my head. But um, the uh, folklore. Uh, Bestry by the Mary Mushman was really cool. Um, let me look up. I just I just reorganized my shelf. I was uh, for those who are are listening. I was telling Todd earlier that I just got this new wall shelf in my my house, and I am uh, restocking it back up here now. So as I look over at it, what else? Oh, actually, there is a book. Uh, it's not an RPG material, but it's called Vason. It's not the Free League RPG oh, game, Vason, okay. but it's the the book is by the same person who does all the art in the free league rpg vason book um and it's a book of just scandinavian uh monsters and it is gorgeous it's so beautifully printed um and there's just a lot of really inspirational stuff in it i am a sucker for monster books um so that that sort of thing uh, just tickles my brain um and yeah it's it was stupid expensive to get here but it was a very cool book um that i think might be one of my favorites of the year just just for how pleasing it is to hold um and, and just go through yeah those i you know I, I i think there's something about them i mean i've i've had these discussions back and forth about kind of some of the products that get uh where art is so much the focus that it loses out on some of the usability type right. stuff but I think there's no question that sometimes these books, I almost prefer like just, just do the art book and just make it just really cool. And, and so, cause sometimes when you try to combine both, some parts don't hold up, but it could be that kind of a, that trap a little bit of, I, th I think that like maze of the blue Medusa might be the classic example of people getting caught up in the art and just the uniqueness of the layout. For yeah. For me, it's more sport. I, I think it's probably, I, I, it was so art focus that I kind of lot I was like, eh, I'm not interested, <laughs> which I'm sure is, is blasphemy to some, but I don't know. It was just, a, it was one of those products where I was like, I don't think this was actually intended to be a game. It was more to be like a, a, a portfolio of, <laughs> of what the I feel like was. when I did the read through, it took me a couple pages to kind of figure out sort of the lay of the land. I actually think they did a little bit better job with that one. Oh, I forget what it's called. Cause I actually looked at that this year too, 
it was one of their uh, kind of source books for Morphorg that had, it was called, uh, what's it called? Heretic, I think it might have been called, where I felt like they just a little bit better with making sure that the, uh, the, that the legibility, or at least in terms of understanding the tables and things inside that layout, was just a little bit more clear, I felt like, to me, um, than... Uh, than than the the base book. I mean, Errant was really cool. I think I spent like a couple of weeks going through Errant, which was really good. I haven't seen the finalized copy yet, but that one got kickstarted well. Um, oh yeah, I did Realms. That Realm Fables was really excellent as a source book. I finally got to I read through the Kaleris. That's how you pronounce the, his. Those I mean, those are like the OGs of like these old books of just gathering all the different, basically putting a pool of just all kinds of different stuff from a lot of the old school books. Um, Speaking of all this stuff, what's your feeling on the OGL? Oh, man. So I, I put out a little mini episode on it um, last week when the first, when the, when, or I guess no, during the weekend when it all just kind of blew up. My opinion, and I, I will preface it with being I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a publisher, but I'm a person that spent a lot of time reading contracts and a lot of time with licensing in a technical aspect, not in a creative aspect. My view on it is this is a massive panic over absolutely nothing at the moment. Really? Okay. That the it doesn't matter what they do with the license, it's what they apply the license to. A license is a lock. Sorry, a license is a key. The content is a lock. So whatever content you have, whether it's your book or it's the SRD or it's uh, whatever, all those things have licenses applied to them until they take that OGL 1.1 and put it on something, that's when it becomes effective on that product. So if they go back and they say, hey, we're going to strip OGL 1.0 off of the SRD 3.5 and SRD 5.1 and put this one on it, then sure, I've got the pitchfork and I'm marching with the crowd. But just having the existence of a new OGL doesn't mean much to me because it may only end up being part of SRD whatever the one D&D SRD is, SRD6, which is, in my opinion, what is the most likely aspect here is that yeah. the SRD for for one D&D is what this will be applied to. Because if you read if, if the amount of people that have published stuff in the OSR community that have never actually read the, the OGL is astounding. You can tell because they don't fill out the OGL properly in the back of their books. Um, but the, if you read the OGL uh, and you look at it, there is nothing in it that tells you to go and look for the most recent version of this license. There's nothing in it that says, uh, you know, uh, find the latest version of our SRD and our OGL on Wizards page or anything like that. So if you have a downloaded copy of SRD 5.1, you've got all the content and the sole license that is required to use that content is out on it. The lock came with the key. I don't see where the problem is here unless they go in a way that I think is incredibly legally legally dubious and will be instantly challenged. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's really the big thing. I, I think the thing is that's in the OGL is that they can update the license, right? And they never did after 1.0a update the license, right? And but so even I think if, the even idea if they update is, it though, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't. Like, they, there's, I've seen I think the the one place of all the hysteria around this that I've seen it was good was they went and they talked to the guy who previously worked for Wizards that created. Yeah, I, I saw that. I think I think the thing is though is that what his intention was versus what they may try to do with it, because there's a couple of words that are missing from the OGL that would have locked it in and said, okay, there's no chance they can do whatever. And those are unfortunately they're missing. And apparently, when people are saying about all the free, because it, it was based on basically a, a software 
uh, yeah. open source software license. If they open source software saying software part of it fixed that loophole <laughs> ages ago, they put in the wording that's missing from the OGL. I think the thing is, is that ultimately nobody knows. And like you're saying, it's going to be like what gets challenged. Because the one thing I think is interesting is there's a lot of things that people have taken as just written that it's law and it's not like the you can't copyright game mechanisms it's like that's not actually been proven people keep saying that you can't do it it's like maybe you can we don't know the fact is that the law that people were looking at about that was applied to board game mechanics about like move three spaces kind of thing which is very different than classes and all the structures and who knows how far wizards could get with the six attributes a class like we just are they going to do that well i hope not maybe they never will but the fact is like we don't we don't know. And because a few magic words are missing from the OGL, there's going to be that uncertainty because nobody yes, but, nobody knows. Even the people who said, like, I am a contract lawyer, and I can tell you this probably won't float, but that doesn't mean they won't try, and it doesn't mean that they get the right judge that won't say all for it. And it's that uncertainty, which I think is just driving people. Yeah, and, and I've seen people scream for, well, why doesn't Wizards make a statement? And there's, there's zero reason for Wizards to make a statement at the moment. The document hasn't been released. They're not going to make a statement on something that hasn't actually come out yet to quell fears. Uh, it, from their standpoint, you know, this might be some bad press for them, but it might also just be the type of thing that goes, oh, well, maybe this will make people want to, like, people will be too, too worried about this. Maybe, maybe we also get this other goal. I, I don't, I, for me, I am in a spot. I, I get, I'm looking at this. I'm not a publisher, so maybe if I was, if I was, I would be in a a different mind space of it. But until the actual document gets released and it actually gets applied to content, so a license being existing is one thing. A license being applied to content is another. So until they actually apply it to content um, and we see which content that is, then I'm not going to worry yeah about i mean yeah i mean there's there's a there's a lot to go but I, I think the one thing that's an interesting wrinkle with this and i guess it's maybe like software too is that products are now kind of products of forever right it's not just there's a printing and you go and it's just kind of done now stuff sits on these digital marketplaces for eternity i mean until our whole thing changes so a lot of this stuff is going to be everything you've done in the past will still be impacted because you're still selling it it's not yeah. you know it's not like oh, I, I did that hey I, I wrote that book and that book is in it's whatever and i'm done with that so on to the next one's like no that book is floating around and you're still selling in your marketplace so i get the i get the bit but yeah i think people are are and that, look there are other people who are like oh, why hasn't uh insert name of massive content creator third-party country come out why hasn't critical role said anything why hasn't matt colville said anything why it's like what do you want them to say if yeah, i was they, making they, millions they don't have any more information than yeah. One, they don't. And two, like, I love the people. And look, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be an active an activist. You shouldn't stand up for what you want. But when you're in the situation when you're potentially making multiple million dollars working with this company, yeah, then you can talk to me about how easy it is to quit <laughs> and just say, I stand with the people and I'm out. Like, yeah. uh, here's, my, here's what my actual prediction of, of how this is all going to end. So I, I rubbed my crystal ball. I, I scried to uh to the future and this is this is this is my 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 vision of what actually happens ogl comes out here in the not so distant future whatever what, some people have said the 13th who knows it'll come out it's coming out as a way for companies like say critical role or all these other massive third-party companies to see what's there so they can prepare themselves for when the srd drops srd will drop it'll be applied to srd 6 or or whatever they call the the one D, &D srd 
and they may even release a new SRD 5.2 to cover 5e material. It won't get rid of the 5.1 SRD that has OGL 1.0 on it, but it'll be uh, it, it may have updates from the more recent books um, that came on at the tail end of of, uh, of 5e. And you might say, well, then why would anybody ever release content using 5.2? You know, they've got the 5.11. one. And I think the answer to it, what the carrot or stick, depending on how you view this, this subject, will be that if you want to have your content available on D&D Beyond, or if you want it available in their new VTT, you will have to publish under OGL 1.0. And I think within the same the same calendar year, the contract with one bookshelf uh, or drive through RPG or uh, DMs Guild, whatever you want to call it, that contract will expire, and you will see all the DMs Guild program or the DM yeah DMs Guild program that is currently running over there will be migrated over to D and D Beyond. Oh, and again, I didn't know about that wrinkle. Well, yeah, because I mean that that DMs Guild is with one bookshelf. It's it's a contract that they run. D and D Beyond is going to be the new source for everything. I think oh, I didn't know. Over. I didn't know the. Con- oh, it makes sense. I just didn't know the contract was up. I didn't know yeah, the timing. Yeah, I don't know the exact date. I, I believe it's within the next sixteen months. But it, it's that's part of the same reason why one bookshelf went and when I, air quotes uh, for everybody who's listening partnered, aka got bought by Roll Twenty was they went and said well. <laughs> Uh, you know, Wizard of the Coast just announced that you know D and D Beyond is getting a uh, going to be the source for all their future content, and they're creating a a VTT. Let's go find a VTT company so that we can still partner with them and and get some of our content on there. Totally. So that that's what I think is going to happen. Is that this the OGL one point one is mostly going to be focused on content that will be stole, sold on D and D Beyond and available in that VTT under some sort of a guise of, hey, in order for us to redistribute your content, Mr. Content Creator, we need you to use this license. Um, that's why you need to give them the rights to all that sh- stuff. And everything. Yeah, I, I, someone, someone said, <clears throat> and again, I don't know if they're right or wrong, that a lot of the part about them with the content part, that part of that was kind of for indemnity purposes, that there's that that's not actually unusual and that people don't use that clause the way people in our circle were talking about. They're going to take your content and republish it. <clears throat> like I, I, and like even if that was what they're going to do, Unless you happen to create the next coming of Dritz to Orden, I don't care. Like your your silver platinum seller that sold two hundred copies on drive through, it's it's nothing to them. Like don't. And by the way, if you're already on publishing on D and D on excuse me on DM's Guild, you've already gave up your soul. Yeah. If 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 you if you look at if you look excuse at all the the clauses that people are talking about as being controversial of the OGL 1.1. So ignoring the, the, the panic stricken aspect of, of it on authorizing, which again, uh, I think that on authorizing is basically saying, Hey, if you're using OGL 1.0, you can't combine it with content from OGL 1.1. We're not author anything that has this license on it. It doesn't authorize 1.0 on it. That's what I think that wording is actually referring to, but all the other controversial aspects of OGL 1.1, are basically clones of the DMs Guild program. The the content moderation, it's in the DMs Guild program. The signing the rights to the content over to Wizards, it's in the DMs Guild it's program. It's actually slightly better because the DMs Guild, you just give it to Wizards. It yeah. Wizards owns it from the time you publish it. Whereas in this one, you still own it. They just get some perpetual license that, you know, they, all the good wording is in their part of when you get it, they get some perpetual free license to da-da-da-da-da-da. So at least at this point, you still own it. Whereas in DMs Guild today, if you publish it, it just goes to Wizards and, you know, bye-bye. Yeah. So the, the for difference all the folks is- who have been doing that route already, it's not even a change that you 
it's better. It's slightly better. For well, you. the the caveat to put on that is that the reason why the the clauses are like they are on the DMs Guild is because your uh, Wizards is allowing you to use their IP, so they're allowing yes. you to use a beholder. Uh, right. With with OGL one point one, you won't you still won't be able to use a beholder. Uh, right. in your content. Uh, but yes, the and so the the rights are a little bit better in in terms of uh, if you if your only option was the DM's guild program or OGL 1.1, yes, OGL 1.1 is still better. Um, but yeah, the the reason why that's there in the DM's guild program is because of Yeah, that. though I always felt like just make a reholder and then it's yours. Exactly. As opposed to <laughs> I got to use a beholder so now I lose I lose <laughs> everything for and then it's like you only get like 30 or 40% of the like the the cut you pay an enormous price for getting to say the word beholder or put it in literally in the forgotten realms or something, which I feel like is too big of a price. But for all those folks, like this is not, it's not, you know, it's not worse than that. So, yeah, you know. I, I urge people to, to one, realize that anytime that you read something in a news report, uh, and you have a strong reaction to it. Ask yourself why you, why you have that strong reaction, because you've got a lot of news reporters that I don't think are very well versed in licensing that are making very wild affirmative claims one way or another. Um, and I think it's it's more it's great to be aware that this might happen in the future, but I I, I think it's too soon to to burn the world down over it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that people are starting to wake up and say, maybe we don't need to support these guys that don't seem to care about, about us. Like, all that stuff is is great. But I don't think you need to tear down other people. Like, look for other targets. Like, Critical Role, you don't need to go find them and burn their house down if they stand not to do it. I mean, they're in a totally different ballpark than the rest of us. And, hey, look, that's where I would love to be in that situation. And then some people can yell at me because I'm partnering up with the man because I'm making millions of dollars a year. Like, I'll, <laughs> like come on. Like, you know, and people on the internet, I always say, are so quick. Like, there's nobody more revolutionary or whatever. Like, you know, like, like I love seeing when the player advice. Like, I've got a problem table player at my table, and all the internet comments are, kick them out, drop mm -hmm. it, I'd leave that game. I, It's like, yeah, because you're on the internet, and it's not your actual game. Like, show me you doing that in person. Like, all you people who are saying Critical Role, go look at their check stubs, and then come back to me and say, okay, I'm actually making, you know, barely minimum wage living at my parents' house. Now I'm going to, I'll take their pay stuffs for a couple of months and then I'll turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to quit that because of this outrage. <laughs> like, it's very easy for all of us to spectate on the side and put people else, everyone else in the situation of having to, you know, act proud. Like, yeah, with my, you know, less than 5,000 subscriptions on YouTube, I can talk massive about all the stuff I'm going to do. But you know, guess what? Because they don't care about me and I'm not getting anything from them. So it's very easy to make that kind of transaction. Let's let's just we tend our own gardens then. No. Yeah. It wouldn't I, be a problem. Uh, you know, a lot of this gets gets uh gets done on social media, and people need to remember that social media lives and dies by how outrageous and how reactionary they can make people feel at any given point in time, whether that is good or negative more oh. often than not negative. So um, <laughs> if you can, if you realize, I think the realization just has to be, you know, you have to know you're being manipulated so that you can in some way be able to go, okay. And just yeah. look at it rationally. And the sad fact of it is in terms of the OG on a lot of the stuff is the, the mainstream D&D players have no idea about the stuff and they don't care. I, I mean, if I if I hadn't gotten involved in doing the YouTubing and things like that, I would never have known about the OGL. I would not have cared. I never read the fine print at the back of those books. It doesn't care. You're just going to keep going what you go. It's 
it's it, it may be annoying, but probably ninety percent of the DM D and D universe is absolutely blissfully unaware of any of the stuff that we're you know people are howling in rage about. Now, I mean, it, I, I think that stuff should be put out there, but I think people need to be realistic. Like you think that the someone on TikTok saying, "Well, I'm not buying any more D and D stuff." Like that's not enough to get Wizards concerned, you know. No. At the moment, but ignoring Wizards stuff, yeah, you've got please. stuff. You've got stuff that has been put out, and you've got stuff that's in your finish it. Yes. Where, where do people find your stuff? And oh man, well, where will they find your stuff when you do finish it? Because you will. That's, 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 that's a good question. I, I hope I will because this this I have other stuff I want to do, but I feel like I have to do the zine first because the long suffering people who've been waiting for that have been waiting <laughs> too long, and I just feel like I can't I can't do something. I mean, and that's kind of the whole thing with the whole challenge within the challenge, right? Is it's easy, and this is my whole thing by trying to do finish it was it's easy to just jump on the next thing. Well. I was working on my world building, but now I'm going to jump over and do this mega dungeon. And now this other thing. So it's like, no, I need to stop and I need to get when I'm done. So right now I've been putting stuff on itch. Itch is a good space. That's where you can find my, my hashtag dungeon 23 helper. If you're interested in such, which it's pay what you want. So you can just grab it for free. Um, a bunch of people actually have given me money for it, which I super appreciate. It's just, it's always kind of stunning when I just throw it out there and someone's like, here's a buck or two bucks or whatever. It's just, it's nice. Um, but totally not, not necessary. Uh, you can go grab that there. Um, I, I've been putting in my, I'm call, I think I've called it unnamed. It's right now it's called what? Unnamed hex crawl adventure, unnamed starter hex crawl adventure. I think is the name of the thing where I've been dropping in my, uh, my updates as I've been working through that. Uh, I have, uh, there's a jam it's up on itch also called hashtag finish it 23, which is, I'm also kind of throwing stuff in there. And I think it's got a few people who have joined, joined that. Yeah, it's that's going to be the interesting going forward. Is where where does this stuff go? I mean, drive throughs kind of had some issues, but then itch in places. If you're going to print it, you can't print. They don't have a print facility. I don't know if I get it going. If I can, I don't really know how it works. If I was going to say, hey, what exalted funeral seems to be kind of the 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 if you're not on drive through or you don't want to be on drive through or in addition to drive throughs, kind of that other space for sort of mixed print and digital media but i need to i need to finish it before i can worry about seeing if i can get it up on those kinds of marketplaces yeah. so i'm not sure i had a conversation um uh end of last week it hasn't been gone up on the podcast yet uh with uh, direct son uh, that the episode will probably air today or tomorrow um but we were talking about some of the stuff that he's published and he publishes on drive through rpg and a few other places and the the exclusivity that drive through RPG asks for if you choose not to go that route, they severely hamper how much money you can make that the cut that they take increases. Um, But you can totally choose to not, you know, go with them as an exclusive and then print wherever you like. Um, I know a lot of folks use um, exalted funeral here in Canada. There's a, there's ratty and Kanati. And there's a few other places that if you have a zine that you want to get, you know, distributed around so you're not handling the printing and shipping uh that they'll their latest adventure aberrant reflections i also looked at this past year it was also very good and that was another one there the one the one before that which was so you're called, was another one of those super surprises where when i first got i i don't remember if they contacted me or i contacted them or anyway i ended up getting a hold of it and i saw it and i was like oh this is a zelda i remember it ended up sitting in my shelf for a while i was like zelda inspired adventure and i was like puzzle based adventure and i was like this sounds <laughs> frankly sounds awful like i am i i'm not a big fan of the like 
what a, a lot of people think of as the puzzles. You know, we're going to enter a room, and uh, this the, the example I always use in my channel is you're going to enter a room, and there's a Sudoku on the floor. Like when you solve it, the door opens. <laughs> like, I don't, no interest in that at all. So I had very little hopes when I finally was like, okay, I had it. He sent me a print copy. I've been sitting at some staring at me, like, okay, I'm finally going to sit down and do it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And the puzzles actually make sense, they fit within the theme. This is awesome. Yeah, um, that was that was how I first came in contact with him was that I had seen his his ideas behind puzzles and I was like, I generally, much like you, hear somebody say I made a puzzle dungeon and kind of have an eye roll and be like, oh, that's so not going to totally be for me. Uh, but I was like, all right, well, you think it's good. Come on here and convince me why this stuff is good. And yeah, he did. And it was it was a great episode, but yeah, fantastic products. I completely agree. Go check those out. Yeah. But uh, if you get a chance, when when it goes up here the next day or so, uh, take a listen. If if for, I mean the whole thing is interesting, but he does go on to talk about a little bit about you know the the publishing side of it. We're mostly talking about Kickstarter uh, on this on this newest one. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I'll have to get them to come on the uh, to come on stream with me sometimes since I've looked at a couple of things. These are nice enough they're sending me a, a version of a print copy of the aberrant uh, aberrant reflections as well, which is also very good. So if you if, if the even though it might sound bad, please check out. And you can check out my read-throughs if you want to go through. If your folks, someone's listening and they're like, yeah, I want to check this out, but I don't want to spend money on it. It's on a site unseen. Well, you can listen or watch me as I go through it. Um, tons of fun. Yeah, drive through. I remember when I first, because I do have like one thing on drive through a tiny, or maybe I have two like tiny little one-page nothings on drive through I definitely went for the non-exclusive. Um, and yeah, they do take they do take a bite. They take a nice bite, but they can print out. They can, You know, the thing is like nobody else, maybe Exalted Funerals getting there can print you know have as much capabilities in terms of digital and the printing part and i kind of feel like the you know role-playing games is particularly maybe the osr space there's maybe there's something like it similar to records where there is still this kind of thing about having the physical printed pieces yep. so as wonderful as itch is you probably tend to have to have itch and something else because people want to have the printed pieces like more in the osr maybe than in fifth edition or anything else but even in those things people love their printed materials and like drive through can not only print out those, they can print out cards, they can print out, like, they've got, they got that kind of part on lock, and I unfortunately haven't seen anyone challenge them as far as setting up, like, I don't know, maybe I haven't really looked at um, Exalted Funeral so much, so I don't know if they have, they can do all kinds of other stuff, but it's kind of really easy on drive through to, I know Lulu can do it too, but it's, then it's not, yeah, it's not quite, the same. Will, not quite the same, hopefully someone will, will challenge them, but uh, it's going to be, and that's what I feel like, if, if anything good in the short term is going to come out, all the, all the OGL stuff is to funnel people towards independent uh, creators and help line their pockets and not line you know, Hasbro's pockets so as much. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, there's so much, there's more content. We're, we live in an age where there's more content than any person can possibly consume. And often some of the, the really great stuff, I mean, there's there's also a lot of, not so great stuff, but a lot of the really great stuff uh, is coming from not the major companies that, that you think of when you think of various games. Totally. But, and that's where all the really new ideas are coming from. I mean, I don't yeah. know when the last time I pulled open kind of a, a Wizards book and thought that like, oh my gosh, there's, I mean, I mean, Wizards of the Coast, not about Wizards particularly, but, <laughs> and found some like really kind of new and sort of, you know, interesting there. Yeah, exactly. All right. So a lot of folks um, have, have, found you on YouTube or they've seen you on other podcasts or what have you. So they know you as I, maybe as they knew, maybe they know you as I did as the guy who had the fish background or as the, <laughs> as the hex guy or what have you. But what is something about Todd as we wrap up here? What's something yeah. about Todd that people may not know that, you know, 
put it out there that what's another side of you that we don't see i usually ask people to 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 tell me what question i should have asked but i feel like for you i want i want to know more about todd so what's something about oh, todd that people don't know about that maybe they should what is something about me well i love cats i got two cats i think one of them popped up on one of my shorts i don't feature them at all i always thought like i should get a second webcam that i could just switch to and just turn it on my cat because usually one of my cats is laying on the corner of the bed like just out of camera shot and uh Something like that. So I, I love my cats. Um, I don't know what else. I don't know. Give me a question. What, is there anything else? I don't know. I feel like I'm, I don't know if I'm saying I'm an open book, but I mean, a lot of my streams are just me talking to myself, it feels like at times. <laughs> um, All right. Well, I'll, I'll throw you a bone on it. Just, just, for, bone. just for fun because because it's, it's something that I have an equal um, uh, love for, I'm assuming, given what's behind you right now. So, oh, board games, on yeah. on on our on our video chat right now, I'm I'm looking at Todd, and he's got a wall of board games behind him. What what is a if you're going to sit down with with people that you have just met, or you know your wife's invited some friends over, you guys are going to have a board game night. What's your what board game are you whipping out to to test the waters between these these new? Oh, that's a good question. So I have to say, it's not the simplest game. But I would maybe say Wingspan, which is, ah. isn't isn't actually featured there, but it is one I have because even though it's diff even though there's it has difficulty levels that I think it will take take folks a little bit to get to come to grips with. It's got that it's they call it table presence, right? Where you, you put this down on your table and you just go like, ooh, you're like you someone sees it, like wow, I want to play. And Wingspan has that like in spades, <clears throat> and it's it's theming that everybody can get behind because I love games about like you know. Going in a dungeon, doing stuff we do in a role playing. It's like, yeah, going into dungeons, killing things. Uh, you know, we're doing a war game or something. But if I'm just, if it's these are friends and I don't really know them and they're not in stuff, that's not going to fly with them. You know, or like, oh, you know, like like a lot of the classic games. You, well, you're 19th century Dutch farmers, and you're like, it's like that. No one, <laughs> you see the eyes glazing over already. But you put out the birds and you show them some of the cards and the colors and things, and I feel like it's just appealing to everybody. I don't know. Maybe there's some jaded hardcore people that are like, "What? We're not killing something? Like, where's the, the, the no, no claws on these? Like, something like that would be like, I hate birds." But I feel like everybody can get behind the birds, and you get the eggs that look like you want to eat them. They just, I don't know, they just they, they look, look, they look like the just like them in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like you bring out your inner inner infant, and you just want to pop them in your mouth, and and just on the illustrations are amazing. And uh, I don't know, it, 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 I feel like it, it, they nailed that part so well that I can see why it just, even though I don't think it's a good, I, like, I don't think it's a good um, entrance to board gaming in terms of difficulty. Like something like Ticket to Ride is probably easier or Catan, but I think right. in terms of what's going to get, like, you're going to get some people around, you put the little birdhouse out there and you get all the colorful boards, like, what's someone going to see? It's like, oh, I want to, I want to try, I want to see what that's all about. I feel like Wingspan has got that yeah i agree i actually just got wingspan it was a christmas gift uh this year uh, to oh, me. Nice. I, I had seen it previously um but yeah it's uh, so i got that for christmas this year um ticket to ride is, is a favorite of mine as well i've got uh looking here beside me i've got one two three four five different boxes for ticket to ride because it's one of my wife my wife's favorite games oh yeah um, and i want to shout out to the if you don't have it if you play often with two i don't know your family size there's the uh, 1911 uh, uh ex expansion it's a must oh yeah, right. sorry or this 1910 is, this is the 1910 one yes sorry yeah 
it's they have one. I know. I think they're slightly different years. Once for the European board, once for the U.S. board. But what that does is it makes it so much better for two players. Because you play Ticket to Ride vanilla game with two players, there's just too much wide open space. Everyone can just do what they want, and it's just not fun. Whereas you play with that little expansion, and it just reduces the amount of cities you can get to, which closes up those routes and, and gives you that kind of excitement. Because that was the one thing when I played with my wife the first time, it was just like this is just kind of boring because nobody could cut anybody else off and it was just a matter of did you get the who got the better routes basically it was just like who was gonna win yeah and then we got that expansion it was like oh this makes a big difference <laughs> yeah uh with, with ticket to ride it really does come down to the map picking picking the right map for the size of the group you have there's some of the maps that have some really cool choke points um, i mean do you have the marklin that's always the one i hear is like the best ticket to ride one is this ticket which to one's ride that mark it's marklin i don't know i think it's one of the it's a german based oh item. no i've i've got i've got uh American one, the European one, uh, India slash South America, I think it is, or no, India slash Africa, um, and then uh, what what we introduced my my son to with that game because he always seen my wife and I and our friends playing the train game, so we have Ticket to Ride Junior as well, uh, oh, which nice. which is has now been aged out <laughs> to be fair but um if, if you do have a if you have somebody who's like in a that four five six range uh, it's a fantastic uh way to introduce them into i didn't have that, that one but my my daughter i used to play the carcassonne yeah uh, which was actually quite and quite these good. always get the, the, did your daughter always take the strategy of just constantly getting the pirate birds or whatever it was the the um oh no i think that that must be that's Catan. Yeah, there's sorry. no way to really block it. I mean, you could just be mean with where you place the tiles. It's basically the only way yeah. to, to to block. But it's still we got a lot of we got a lot of fun out of it. What's the, what's your favorite ticket to ride of those expansion boards? I only have U.S. Um, I prefer so I had, uh, the India one is new for us. We've only gotten it to the table once, so I don't want to form an opinion on it yet. But I, if I had to choose between the U.S. and the Europe, I prefer the European one just because there's a little, few more mechanics. Um, okay. There's tunneling through mountains and stuff. Um, that require things a little bit differently. Uh, there's there's a hub, so if you do get locked out of a city, you can put a hub on the city and use that use somebody else's uh, path through it if you need oh, to. Oh, I like that idea. So yeah, there's there's some extra mechanics in there. So I do like the European version. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've got just oodles of these games. Um, Have you my, played Wingspan yet? Have you had a chance to play it? No, it's it, the box has not even been opened yet. Uh, so I got Wingspan and Power Grid as two games for Christmas this year that I have not yet opened. But uh, I have not played Power Grid. That's an old school one. That one's that, like super crunchy. Yeah, that one I had on my wish list for the reason that it's super crunchy. I want to <laughs> I want to dive into that one. Does that have um, like a solo mode, or is, is your is your is your wife is she into those super crunchy games also? Yeah, we've got a we've got a few friends that we that we bring oh, over for awesome. that sort of stuff. So that'll be good, and. Uh, my, I think my, that's the surprising thing about Wingspan is it is crunchier than you might think. Given its like mainstream success story, you might think, oh, it's super simple. Like it's 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 not. Yeah. My my recommendation for people uh for uh of new games I've gotten recently, as I'm looking over at my shelf, sorry, my microphone's no. probably my audio is probably in note as I turn my head. Um is uh if you if you enjoy card games, is the crew. Um it is gin rummy ramped to a billion um and it's amazing if you enjoy card games and then uh, there's two crews right isn't there a newer crew because yeah. the first crew is the space and the next one's like underwater or something i and mean the, the theming is almost next to nothing in the game yeah but. the the theming doesn't matter but the but the underwater one makes the game more replayable whereas okay. the the original one uh the missions were laid out in the book and once you completed those missions you're like okay great i completed the game i'm done uh, I see. uh the 
the second one solves that problem by making it every time you play it, it's a different experience. Um, and then the the other one I would recommend is uh, my son is a big fan of the Sushi Go games, which are have been around forever and are really yeah, great. those are cool. But a new one that we got here over Christmas for him is called Go Nuts for Donuts. Um, <laughs> and, I, can, I can get behind that. Yeah, also also a great game uh, that I recommend people check out. It's uh it's very similar to Sushi Go. It's got a simple mechanic, but uh, the art is is in, in the same vein and it's fun. I really dig the Dune Imperium. Game. I don't know if you've, if you've had that one or a chance to play. Really good. It's, the unfortunate thing for me for that one is that the theme, I love it. Harder sell for people who aren't kind of sci-fi yeah. people. That's what I, that's <clears throat> that's kind of the wingspan thing. Is the theme is anybody can get involved. There are lots of other games that are great, but then I feel like I have to try to sell them on the theme or just tell them ignore the theme or don't worry about the theme. Whereas with the <laughs> wingspan, it's like it's birds. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's warm and fuzzy, cuddly birds. You're good. Meadows also very good. Kind of hit, hits that same nice point because you're just building this like walk through the woods it's really pretty but there's some interesting things going on there but it has also a very nice kind of table setup it's got really pretty colorful illustrations and it's a really good game under there but again it's it's a the, i feel like when you're just trying to get you're trying to entice people to the table i feel like that theme a theme that's going to appeal to the, the largest swath of people and also it being kind of colorful and pretty is important when you want to try to get people to play like my wife will play some games. I know she's not going to play Dune Imperium because she's just not that interested in the going and killing people to try to conquer Arrakis, whatever. It's just... But if I can, I can definitely sell her on birds, or I can sell her on a, a lovely journey through a meadow, or you know something of that nature. Um, I'm I'm envious of you and your in your group that that you got them into some really hardcore games. Like I, I miss that. Yeah, the 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 secret for me was I, I started them off on all the easy ones and they looked at it, they were like, this is gonna be way too hard. And and the it'll only take me a few turns to teach you how to play the game. And now they've now they believe me on that for all of them. Um so like I, eventually I will crush their dreams by having a game that's <laughs> too complicated. But they 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 believe me and trust me enough when I say this will be easy, we'll learn it. Um so that now I've been able to move them into more crunchier stuff and and things have been have been good. There. I feel like so, where the games put the crunch really helps. A lot and i do like the i guess i keep one i hate to keep bringing up wingspan but one thing that wingspan does is it makes your your decision point on any one of your terms is pretty easy you basically have three, three options yeah three options and you can't even and you can't even necessarily do every option because sometimes you end up getting locked by other ones like you, you can get eggs but then sometimes to do something else you need to have eggs if you don't have you know so you end up going okay well so each one of your turns you're not some games will give you like you've got a thousand options and we're going through eight phases this turn whereas wingspan's like you're just going to be doing this little thing here it's figuring out how to all those things to line them up to kind of get your most your sort of workflow for the like that's where the kind of puzzle and of course the randomness of which birds because the birds all different abilities and trying to put those together into a way that makes sense for you but i really like that where they kind of lock down it's like we're not going to give you a million choices from the jump we're just going to give you these three choices and then i think once you get through a few rounds suddenly you're like oh now i understand and then the next game i can come back and try to refine try to be more um thoughtful about specific choices because you can end up at the end of the game saying, oh, if I'd only done this thing, I would have scored better. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get together at some point, Todd, and play some on like Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia or whatever they... If you can teach me, I need to learn how to play them. Oh, it's it's, it's them... silly easy. It's it's really easy. The controls are a little bit... That's where it clunky, gets me. But once once you've got the... the with, with 
I'm not sure about Tabletop Topia, but I know with Tabletop Simulator, people sometimes have some issues with the controls. Once you get your head around those, the games just flow nice and easy. Cool. You could be my you could be my Sherpa because I would definitely love to do it. And I just want to end by saying one thing: Can we please stop having games just do victory points? Yes. Can we please just do? So- and I I remember I posted this ages ago to like one of the board game reddits, and people were like slamming into me. But it's like it's to me, it's like it's so silly when you come up with something thematic so i'll you know use wingspan for example at the end you're counting points could you not even make those points something like government grants oh if you get so many visitors to your bird sanctuary like there are so many ways even just to take the concept of points and just theme it to make it something or you have a game where it's like we're going to conquer the world great so when i do i win when i conquer the world no you win by having the most victory points it's like what the heck does that mean why can't it just be whoever has the most even if we're going to say Whoever has the most territory, and by the way, territory is going to be measured in some kind of resource, which basically Basically is counting points. points. But in the end, at least it feels like, oh, I have done this, or I've gotten more seats in the Senate than you. And even though that, yeah, that's points. Theme it up. Do something with it. Don't just go. I feel like everyone just falls back on like VP, and it's why? Do do something. Monopoly has been around forever, and they taught us how to do it with property and dollars. Uh, that's and it's it. all that's on their theme, so the rest of us can, can follow figure it out with the new absolutely. Game too. That's the end of my TED talk. <laughs> Down with victory points, up with some kind of thematic points. So, where should people go to find you, Todd? Oh, I guess YouTube's still the best place. Uh, YouTube.com. Now they're doing this thing where you can have kind of an at you can do the sort of at thing, so you can just go to YouTube.com at hexed press will work. Um, if you, I, th- I think there's uh Make sure it's hexed, H-E-X-E-D-P-R-E-S-S. You'll know it's me if you get to a bunch of stuff about weightlifting, and then you'll see one of my videos. I'm the one that's not doing things about weightlifting. <laughs> Didn't realize that when I got the name, but there's like hex for like hex weights. And so I I, I eternally curse myself when I picked, I, if I'd only done a slight smidgen more research in, in, in my name, I probably would have picked something that didn't overlap so heavily with something totally unrelated to my field. But there it is. I'm also on itch. You can find links to all this stuff. I feel like if you just go to Hexed Press or you look up Hexed Pressman on Twitter or Mastodon or, as you said, I have I have scattered myself across social media. So you can find me TikTok. Uh, TikTok has some great stuff with interacting with people that I hope kind of YouTube shorts. I think they might. But there's some neat stuff you can do there where you can stitch on other people's videos to respond to questions. And you probably if you've seen my shorts, I usually do them in, and then TikTok and put them into YouTube. And so you can do some kind of neat different ways of interacting with people, which I appreciate, but I'm on, you know, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere you, you and the folks who are, who are following our every move in the shadow realm, everywhere they are. I am. So, all right. Sounds good. I will try to put as many links to all of those things and a bunch of the stuff that we talked about, like the various games in the show notes. And thank you for, so much for coming on to talk, talk with me. Hopefully Thanks folks got some, some good ideas for how to get through Dungeon 23 or finish at 23. I think finish at 23 is probably a better theme because because that applies to Dungeon 23 if you've started it. Finish it applies it. to everything. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. It applies apply to anything you want to work on and finish. Come join me and let's let's finish some stuff, right? I mean, let's that's the that's what we want to do at the end of the day. I think most of us anyway want to get something done, right? Exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to finish this and send it to future me for editing, and it'll be up up very soon. But thank you guys very much for listening. And Todd, thanks again so much for coming onto the show. It was awesome. I appreciate it. Love being here. Happy to come anytime. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed. You learned something and that you are eager to come back for more. www.theredcaps.net has all the links to all the ways to contact me, and I would love to hear from you. I will also have all the links to all the things that we talked about, or as many as I can come up with, down in the description of this podcast. 
Thank you again so very much for listening. And remember, never let your cops dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We'll talk again soon.